Thanks, Ryan. Um, yeah, he just said all this, but obviously I'm I'm the intern, uh, so I'm not the guy that's up here every week. So if you're new this week and something happens and you're like, what is with that guy? You know, um, come back. You need to hear Ryan speak as well. Uh, no, but seriously, I, I mean, I hope that, you know, you will enjoy this and be able to learn um, tonight. I think you will. Uh, so well, I'll, I'll open in prayer and then we'll we'll read God's word together. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this group that's gathered to read your word and to learn more about you. Um, thank you for the opportunity that I have to, to lead us in that. I pray that you would uh, take my uh, fears and insecurities even now and, and just get that stuff out of the way. I pray that we would um, be able to look at your word to us together and to uh, marvel at your grace and marvel at who you are. Uh, I pray that you would Make your name great, and we pray all that in your son's name. Amen. Um, so, yeah, so this semester, right, we've been uh, looking at Judges, which is a very interesting book. And um, it, this book's taking place right after a uh, part in history that a lot of you probably have heard a lot about, right? It's right after God has delivered um, his people out of slavery from Egypt. And we're learning in this book that humans... Um, actually have a tendency to be very wicked and very sinful. Uh, God has delivered them out of slavery, and they are so prone to forget this, right? And then we're seeing this cycle in Judges where God continues to come back and be gracious to them and um, in the midst of their sin. Uh, much of this has been through, um, or really all of it has been through. He's, he's raised a judge a couple of times in a row now to deliver them from oppression that they've fallen into when they turn away from God and start to uh, worship idols or false gods. So, um, and, and judge, in this case, again, if you're, if you're here for the first time, judge, we just mean, it means like a war hero, basically, like a, a leader. It's not, not a Supreme Court judge with a gavel. So, um, tonight's passage, I'm, I'm excited about it. It's a great one, and um, we're going to see God's grace put on display in some pretty great ways, and um, when I say grace, we're talking about his God's unmerited favor, right? So, like, God's favor shown and given to people who have not earned it, have not deserved it. I think each time it comes up, you're going to see what I mean. You're going to see, you're going to say, yeah, that's some, that's pretty unmerited. Um, and so, we're going to read tonight, real, ever so brief context for the passage that we're reading here. Uh, we'll talk more about it later, but it's happened again, y'all. God's people have fallen away from worshiping Him and following Him. They're putting their hope in false idols. They're putting their hope in things that are not going to satisfy. And so that's sort of where we pick up. So we're going to read uh, Judges 6. I think it's printed in your handout. Judges 6, verses 7 through 16, and then verses 36 through 40. So follow along with me, starting in verse 7. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, these are the people who are oppressing them, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, though you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the 
Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? So what verse am I reading? 16. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And then picking up in verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. So, this is the reading of God's Word. Um, as we read that, you may have noticed, you, it may have already jumped out to you, some, you know, God being gracious and God being patient with Gideon. And, uh, but we are going, that's what we're going to look at tonight. There's going to be three ways specifically that we're going to see God's grace put on display. And the three ways are... Um, well, I, yeah, do you, can I get that? Stop right there. Stop, back up. <laughs> Here. Um, yeah, yeah. Through rebuke and through God's presence and through his patience. I'm just going to click through them as we go. So first, we see God's grace to his people through a rebuke. Um, and so as I mentioned, right, the Israelites are being oppressed again. Earlier in the chapter, uh, you can read, we didn't read it, but you can read that they've done was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they've fallen away again, and they've turned to the worship of idols and false gods. And so now God has given them into the hand of this, these people called the Midianites. And this time, it's very bad, y'all. These, these Midianites, they're very oppressive, right? Um, early in the chapter, again, a part we didn't read, but you can read all about it. Read about it on your own. Um, they're coming whenever uh, the Israelites are growing their crops and they're stealing their crops. They're coming they're stealing their livestock. Um, they're pretty much taking from the Israelites as they want without considering, you know, what it all is left for the Israelites. Um, I was reading this. It's not a perfect example, but maybe it'll help you understand. I thought of, if y'all have seen the movie Bug's Life, right? You remember the grasshoppers come, show up every, every season, right? Take as they please. So basically that's what's going on here. Um, the Midianites are oppressing the Israelites. And so, it's so bad, in fact, that the Israelites, they've moved off. They're living in caves. They're living in the mountains, um, hiding with whatever they can, whatever resources they have, um, and anything they can do to prevent from being pillaged and plundered. And so, this is where we started reading in verse 7. The people cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, right? That makes sense. They're being oppressed. They cried out to the Lord. And... 
again, if you've, if you've been coming this semester, you've heard this is kind of the point where God usually raises up a judge and delivers his people. And so that's, that's the cycle that we've been seeing, which is in and of itself amazing that God continues to be gracious to his people. But we're kind of surprised here. This is the first time we see this. Instead of delivering a judge immediately, God brings a prophet, right? We read that, okay? Um, it's an unnamed prophet. We don't know his name. But God sends a prophet to his people. And instead of delivering people immediately, right? Instead of delivering the Israelites from this oppression, he sends his prophet to, to basically rebuke them and to tell them, to remind them of God's grace to them, brought them out of slavery, to remind them that God has delivered them. And then in verse 10, look at it there. He says, so this is God speaking through this prophet. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So they're in for it now, right? God didn't send a judge this time. He sent a prophet to rebuke them and, uh, and to tell them what they've done wrong. And so at this point, I don't, other than the fact that we just read the whole passage, if you're reading through at this point, you might start to think, um, maybe God's had enough, right? We, we might expect that God would give up on an unfaithful people. Um, or, as I'm suggesting here, obviously, God's grace is being displayed through this rebuke. Perhaps, right, perhaps this rebuke could be a loving thing that God's doing, um, that, that Him showing them where they've messed up, right, calling them out on their sin could be loving of Him. And uh, a couple of examples to illustrate this. This is a very simple example, but I think it illustrates the point well. And that is, right, picture, you know, a young child wandering away from their parent, right, into the street. Or maybe you've probably actually seen this happen, a ch- wandering around like maybe a pool, right, can't swim, walking around the pool, about to fall in. And then at that point, it would be unloving for the parent to do anything other than, like, right, run over and, and grab the child immediately, away from danger. And so... If, if you've ever seen this happen, too, right, you know what happens after that. What's the child's response? I mean, they immediately burst into tears, right? I, think, I mean, that's how I've seen it play out. And so um, I think it's clear, you know, that the child in this example is not happy with the situation they find themselves in. And yet, without, you know, without the parent's action, without um, perhaps even a rebuke, the child would be much worse off, um, uh, another example, this is kind of a funny example, but um, for, I don't know if any of you watched the show Parks and Rec. Um, I'm a big fan. So, um, Parks and Rec, there's a character named uh, Mona Lisa Saperstein. And uh, her, yeah, her, her brother, John Ralphia, is probably the best character in the show. Um, just one man's opinion. But whenever Mona Lisa finds herself in trouble, right, uh, usually it's financially, she finds herself in a sticky situation. She goes to her father, and uh, what does she do? She's one moment, you know, typically pretty rude. She's always rude. But when she's in trouble, she puts a smile on, and she looks at her dad. If you've just seen it, you know. She sticks her hand out. She goes, money, please. <laughs> Ask for money. <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. And um, if you've seen the show, you know that her dad always obliges. He just gives her money. He's like, yeah. Uh, anything to get rid of you right now. And um, and if you watch the show, you know that Mona Lisa pretty consistently kind of runs her life into the ground. 
And you know that her father, he even said, he doesn't even think very highly of her at all. And so, point being, this is not a very loving way for a father to act at all. And so, I think here, this rebuke, right, this prophet being sent, I think God is telling his people here that, listen, I'm not, I'm not meant to be a last resort, right? Um, he's committed to his people, and he wants them to be committed to him. And, this is important, being committed to him is what is good and healthy for them. And so that, I think, that's a big deal. I think that is why this would be a gracious thing, right? To rebuke them, to show them their sin. Um, Ryan said something similar a couple weeks ago, I'm pretty sure. So you might have heard something like this before. But we have to ask ourselves a question, right? Is it, do we have a God who can ever rebuke us, right? Or, or who can ever correct us or discipline us? Or do you find that your God tends to um, bend to your will or tends to maybe let certain behaviors slide? And if that's the case, then you start to find that God, this God you're speaking of, has actually been created in your image as opposed to the God of Israel who has created us in his image. So that, so this rebuke is an is a, yeah, a example of God's grace to his people. And um, as we read a moment ago, this rebuke, comes with a reminder from the prophet, right? The reminder of, I am the Lord your God. And that, I think, leads us into the second way in which we see God's grace to his people, and that is through his presence. And it's mainly highlighted in those verses. So, we've already discussed, right, the reason the Israelites are in this mess. They've fallen away. They've done what's evil in the sight of the Lord. And a rebuke maybe even seems to make sense, but things kind of start to get surprising when God promises to be present, and he shows up, and he is present. And uh, it's even more surprising, you know, when he comes to Gideon, right? Through this angel of the Lord, promises his presence to Gideon. He promises to be with him. Um, In verse 11, yeah, verse 11 tells us, when the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, Gideon is hiding away from the Midianites. He's in the wine press beating out wheat. And so what's that all about? Um, some of you, you, you might notice that this uh, example of the wine pre- or of the threshing wheat, it comes back up in the New Testament. So you might have heard this before. But basically, what Gideon's trying to do is he's trying to separate the grain from the chaff, right? He's, he's trying to, he's, you throw up the wheat, the wind would carry away the chaff. It's useless not to be used. And then the heavy stuff, the grain, had more substance and was going to be used for something. It would fall to the ground. And... So we find that Gideon, right, he's doing, he is, he's trying to accomplish this task, separating the grain from the chaff, but he's doing it in the wine press, which is not, it's not where you're supposed to be doing it. So he's, he's clearly a very fearful guy, right? He's, he's hiding away from the Midianites. Um, he's trying to thresh wheat in the wine press, and this is where God appears to him. And, and then what does the angel of the Lord tell him? He says, he calls him a mighty warrior. This guy who's hiding, yeah, I mean, Gideon, I wonder, you know, Gideon may have been thinking, mighty warrior, you know, it's, um, just, you know you're looking for the wine press guy, right? <laughs> um, so, I don't, you know, maybe so. And then we look at it, and Gideon's response is, he says, Lord, how can I be the one to save Israel? I'm from the weakest clan, um, as well as in the weakest, I, I'm the weakest in my family. And then, 
what does God say? Uh, his response there in the angel Lord says in verse 16, he responds, he says, I will be with you, which I think is kind of cool. He just promises his presence. Um, now, I would think this would be profoundly comforting to Gideon, perhaps, um, right? Because God's not simply, he's not just delegating tasks. He's not saying, here, go, go deliver Israel, and I'll be back later to check on you. No, he's saying, he's promising his presence. He is present, and he's making certain that Gideon knows that. And this also, I think, begins to help us understand where, where Gideon's might's coming from, right? Like, how can Gideon be considered a mighty warrior? Well, because God has said, I will be with you. Um, does that mean, this is, this is a good question, right? Does that mean that what needs to be done will always be easy, just having God's presence? And I think the answer is no. It doesn't mean everything's always going to be easy. But I think this is something, I think it's a good question to wrestle with. Uh, what does the presence of God mean to us? It's promised here to Gideon. It's promised throughout the Bible. God promises he'll be present with his children. We see this, right, displayed in the person of Jesus. Jesus, Emmanuel, means God with us. He, and then, you know, we're promised today, Christians, we know we live with the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? God lives with us in the Holy Spirit. And so, so if you're a Christian, right, you're living with this presence of God in you right now. And that's not, this is important too, this, that's not meant to be frightening, right? This is not, this is not God's presence with you staring over your shoulder waiting for you to mess up. Like, y'all, this is meant to be comforting. I think you see how it would be comforting for Gideon, and it's meant to be comforting for us today. Um, God is present with us, right? For, think, so, okay, Charles, how's that, how's that comforting? Well, when I'm thinking about, like, struggling with sin, right? Struggling sin, fighting temptation, right? Um, for some of you, maybe it's you know, tempted to return to the internet again, right, to look at pornography yet again. Or for some of us, it's, um, you know, it maybe it's just easy to jump into the group of people that's bad-mouthing a friend, right, or maybe not even a friend, an acquaintance, right? You've, we've all been there. And, um, or maybe it's just been a long week, right, and we're thinking, um, I, I really want to get drunk this weekend, you know. Um, there's all these instances, right, where, like, we, we do, we, like, fight temptation, to sin in our lives. And if you're a Christian, God is present with you. And again, this is not waiting for you to mess up. With that knowledge, y'all, comes the real power to fight sin. And that's important. I hope, I hope you can understand that. Um, you have the presence of a loving Father with you if you're a Christian tonight. So this, the knowledge of His presence is just, it's powerful in how it can play out in our lives. We're seeing it here in the text, right? God has remained present with his people throughout Judges um, as they've continued to flee from him. Um, and we saw in the rebuke, right, from the prophet, the reminder of, I am the Lord your God. And um, I am the Lord your God. I want to talk about that for a second. This reminder, right, I am the Lord your God. You see, this is not, this is not a conditional thing. This is true because God has said it's true, right? Um, he is faithfully present with his people because it's who he is. Uh, I have kind of a, this is kind of a silly example, but I hope, I hope you can see how this ties in. I thought of it, so I'm going to share it. Um, when I was in college, I had uh, a roommate. Well, 
I, I was a big, uh, big frozen pizza guy in college, right? So ate a lot of frozen pizzas. So I had a roommate. He'd come home a lot, and he would find me eating pizza very often. And uh, I love this roommate. I mean, he's a great guy. I was in his wedding. But he had the tendency to walk in and see me eating pizza and say, Hey, eating pizza? And, um, yeah. <laughs> and I would always say, you know, yeah, you know, what, what gave it away? Uh, you know, maybe the, maybe the fact that I'm eating pizza indicated to you that I'm eating pizza. And, uh, I mean, it's a very, very silly example. But my point is, y'all, God, God he's, say, he's saying, I am the Lord your God. He is faithfully present. There's not much investigative work left to be done. And if you do investigate, like, you will see God, this, this promise of I am the Lord your God, it's being, it's being held true. Like, it's being proven true over and over again. The fact, that, the fact that God is even present in this situation, his people left him again, but he said, he's said before and he's saying again, I am the Lord your God. Like, that's just true. It's true, you know. I'm here, I'm interacting with you, um, and I'm committed to you. So, uh, and this promise, I think, is meant to call us to action, uh, which, which is a nice little segue into the third way in which we see God's grace displayed, and that is through His patience. His patience with even those who are slow to action, right? Speaking of slow to action, Gideon, <laughs> Gideon, <laughs> A great example. I don't know if you know if you if you zoned out while we were reading. We're about to talk about it. You're going to see like this guy. This passage is riddled with opportunities for God, you know, to snap. I feel like, but he never does. Um, and so we're going to look. Let's look closer at a couple of them. Uh, when the angel of the Lord first tells Gideon, he, he promises his presence. Right? He says the Lord is with him. He tells Gideon the Lord is with him, and Gideon's response is to ask, how can this be true, right? How can it be true that the Lord is with me, then the Lord is with us? Then Midianites come and they take as they please. And then he says, where are God's wonderful deeds that we have been told of by our fathers? And I don't know if y'all caught it. I'm fairly certain Gideon did not. But Gideon, has just, he just backed himself into a corner, right? He just argued against himself. Because we are left to, you know, we can say, Gideon, you mean you knew, like you knew about God's faithfulness to, you know, to your fathers and this has been passed down? Because he, he mentions it right here. You knew and yet you've still fallen away from worshiping God and you've, you've still, you know, looked to other idols, false gods to satisfy. And so there, you know, right off the bat, a, an opportunity for God to, to be angry. Um, and like we, I mean... I think we love this. I don't, I don't know. You can probably think of examples in your own life where, where are you arguing with someone and they they you know, make your argument for you. I I know I love that. I mean I'm not proud of it, but especially with siblings, they'll say something and you're like, oh, <laughs> like <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. You know, we're actually arguing the same thing. Um, so we love when this happens, but God, y'all, God's not clearly. He's not here to argue. He's not here to debate or argue with Gideon. Um, and so, a little bit later on, we see uh, God's patience displayed again, his gracious patience with Gideon. Um, battle is nearing. This is kind of the, the last section we read. 
Um, so Gideon, you've got God's message, right? You're ready to go. And in verse 36, Gideon basically says, you know, um, just one more thing, you know, <laughs> I'm almost ready. Just I want to check. I want to make sure this is what you want me to do. Um, and so then this is where, you know, the requests about the fleece come in. So at this point, you know, surely God will be angry, right? I, um, you know, Gideon, like, just obey, man. Um, you know, we, I don't know about y'all, but I, I often thought about, um, when you think about, like, Old Testament heroes, right? David and Goliath is a story everyone knows. Like, that comes to mind. And I kind of often had thought um, maybe the meaning of that story was, oh, you just got to have enough faith, right? You just have to believe and then God will know that you're worthy of being used. And um, that's not at all what's happening here, right? Like that's Gideon, Gideon's no David. Um, so if, that, if that's what that story means, you know, if that's going to hold up, then we're going to see, surely we're going to see that God's going to be displeased with Gideon, perhaps dish some wrath out on him. That's not what happens. That's not, and that's not how he responds. Um, which kind of leads me to, like, you know, how does he respond? I think it, yeah, there's a, some scripture I want to look at. It's a great, it's one of my favorite verses. Um, Psalm 103. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us? Um, I, I, just, I love the, um, that picture. As far as the east is from the west, like they're, they're opposites. They don't, they're not close. Um, we'll just put it that way. Um, so he does not deal with us according to our sin, y'all. Of course he doesn't. We need to see this beautiful truth, the fact that there's no, there's no interaction between God and man that is not achieved due to God's grace and kindness. Does that make sense? I, I think that said a lot of negatives in there. Like, we cannot, like, he's on another level. We cannot, we cannot interact with him apart from his grace to us. So I think God's patience here with Gideon is remarkable. Um, we, I mean, we, this is a patience that we don't, we don't, we can probably hardly even understand, right? Because I know in our own lives, if we're being honest, um, probably all had roommates right you've all worked in group projects before like you all know your own impatience we don't have to tell we're not gonna go around and share but like you know um and we and we work hard to justify our own impatience um even in my life uh recently over christmas break right um my dad got a new iphone or well he his first iphone so it was new but got an iphone and um as he was learning how to use it i was teaching him kind of um you know, there are several times where I just wanted to grab it and be like, just give it to me. You know, I'll do it. Let me, I'll do it. <laughs> and um, I, I mean, those are, those are minor thoughts all, all too often. Um, I'm sure y'all could say the same thing. And we see, we see right, like God's, God's patience with Gideon. Like, it's just, I, I don't think we have a category for it. I hope that that's becoming more and more clear. Um, God's far more patient with us than we than we ever are, um, than we even know how to be. Um, and so, 
So that's great, right? So God's super patient with Gideon. So, but what, like, what's the deal? What is Gideon's problem? Like, what is up, dude, <laughs> with the hesitance? Like, just, like I said earlier, just, why, just obey. Um, I think Gideon is struggling here with actually something that I think we all struggle with, and that is Gideon's basically doubting um, these promises, right, that we've already seen. I am Lord your God. I will be with you. I am with you. Um, yeah, he's doubting the fact that God loves him. And I think that we, I think we all experience this. Um, maybe you don't know as much as you do, but I, I think that upon receiving clear word from God, as we do in the scriptures, um, about how we ought to live our lives, you know, sometimes we receive this word from God, we read the Bible, and we, we know these things are true. We know he has commands for us. But we might say, you know, I, you know that command, that one, that's a little miserly, you know, like that's, I don't know, that that seems kind of strict, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is for you, you know, you read the Bible, you know, maybe, I know, God, I'm not supposed to have sex before I'm married, or I know, like, like I said, I shouldn't gossip, I know I shouldn't speak poorly about other people, I know I shouldn't worry, right? Jesus, Jesus even tell, Jesus says that, like, don't worry. Like, I'm <laughs> preaching to myself right here. I know everyone in here worries. And Jesus commands us not to. Um, and so what I'm suggesting, basically, is that our disobedience in, in, along these lines, our disobedience in these things, I think reveal to us that we actually are questioning, you know, does God really love me? Does that make sense? Because if He's commanded these things, if He loves us and we do not obey His commands... That I think we're questioning his love for us. A lot like Gideon's doing here. And he's still patient with us. Um, y'all, Gideon, Gideon's just a great illustration of this. You know, I, I was thinking through, I was thinking, let me think of like a good story to illustrate this point, but like it's it's right here. Like Gideon <laughs> is really showing God's patience. Um God has promised he will be with Gideon, right? And Gideon, he asked for more clarification. He asks, this is, and this is where we read in the last little passage there, he asks for the fleece to be dewed, and the, I guess that's a word, dewed, and the ground to be dry. And what happens? That's exactly, that's exactly what God does. Does that very thing. And the text even tells us it's the, the fleece is wet enough to fill a bowl with water. Um, all right, so there's no denying what has been done here. The, the fleece is not just slightly damp, right? This is not, um, this not took your, took your jeans out of the dryer a little bit too early. Damn, like this, it's wet. <laughs> and he wrings it out and fills a bowl with water. The point, like point being that God has completely and fully fulfilled Gideon's request here. And Gideon's still hesitant. And so at this point, I've said this a couple of times already. At this point, you think, like, maybe God's going to be angry this time, right? Even Gideon knows he's asking a lot. The next thing he says is, he says, Do, please not be angry with me. Uh, and he asks, and he goes to God, and he says, just one more thing. <laughs> Can you do the opposite? Make the ground wet and the fleece be dry. Um, and real quick, I do want to say, like, it's important to know, this pat you might have heard this passage before, and this is not, like, our example on how to make decisions like this is not commendable so this is so this is not saying you know um 
don't 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 leave here and say, oh, I know if it rains tomorrow, then I'll take this job, you know, or like if so and so, you know, if John calls me tomorrow, or texts me, then I'll ask this girl. Like, no, that's not that's not what we're that's not that's not the aim here. This is not commendable. Gideon's being hesitant. He's like I said, questioning God's love for him. And with that in mind, how does God respond to this uh, second fleece request? He fulfills the request again. And again, he does it, you know, undoubtedly so. This is actually, um, I was reading, you know, in a commentary, this is actually maybe even more miraculous because the fleece would naturally tend to absorb dew. And so the second time now, Gideon goes out and checks it the next morning and it's dry and there's dew all around the ground. And so there's no questioning what's happening here, right? Um, I think... I think we know Gideon well enough at this point to know that, like, if it was if it's possible to question this, I think he I think he might have. You know, I think he would have said, yeah, uh, "God, one more thing." <laughs> but we see that God is so committed; He's so committed to this task of working in Gideon and through Gideon that He's left He's left no room for doubt at this point, right? And so. Uh, in fact, all it seems, you know, Gideon just seems to be slowing things down, and God continues to be committed to working through him. Um, I, and I, I mean, I just think this is remarkable. Um, right? Let's wrap our heads around this. Gideon continues to question these promises of God, and um, and, and and God continues to be patient with him. Right? Um, again, we don't, we just don't think this way. When people question us. Right, we want to like prove them wrong, or maybe we want to give in to their doubts. Right, to say you know that'll teach you to question me. Like I'll I'll show you. Um, it's not how God responds. He he does prove Gideon wrong, but not out of a desire to prove not out of a desire to prove him wrong, but out of a desire to comfort him. Right, to reassure him of who he is and that he loves him. He stoops down to Gideon to comfort him. He, he appears to him in the flesh, right, um, through, this, through this angel of the Lord. Um, we, didn't, we didn't read it, but it's in the middle section there. God has revealed to Gideon that this angel of the Lord is from him. He shows, and he shows Gideon over and over again with his fleece, um, his patience and, and who he is, and he loves him in such a way that's undeniable. Um, and this is, I'd, okay, this, I'd say this is really the biggest takeaway here. This, this is a big deal, right? God is showing himself in a, really an unquestionable manner, right, to Gideon. Like, you can't, you can't deny what's happening here. And he's doing it for Gideon, right? He's doing, it, he's doing this for a person who struggles to believe that God loves him. I think, I just, I think it's awesome. I love this. <laughs> um, and we see this, right? This is big. He, he comes, we, we see this now in the story of Gideon, and we see this, when God comes to earth, right, in the form of Jesus, and he lives a perfect life for us, he dies the death that we deserve, like the fullness of what has been done there, y'all. God, in this story with Gideon, and then God through Jesus, he has left, he has left no stone unturned in displaying his love for us. Like he does, he's not really left us room to question and go, I don't know if you really believe, if you really if you really love me. And yet, he did this for people that he knew would question whether or not he loved them. 
I think it's, I, I mean, I love that. I think it's awesome. Um, I will say, this is, like, this is not meant to guilt you tonight. Like, if you're here and you're not really sure if God loves you, this is not meant to guilt you, right? This is meant to, to comfort you. Because, right? Because Gideon is not guilted at this point. Gideon goes out and is, he's led to action, okay? Um, again, some, some other stuff we did not read, but he, um, in the middle section there, the part we skipped, he's gone out and he's torn down these altars that have been built to false gods. He's sounded the trumpet. He's gathering men like they're preparing to go into battle. Um, and as we'll see next week, he's going, to, he's going to do it. He's going to march into battle. And how is this possible, right? Gideon, this guy we've been reading about, who's just hesitant as all get out, right? We, you, could not have, you could not have written a character who is more hesitant or more uh, doubting than Gideon. And the reason that he's acting, I think, is because um, he's, he, he's beginning to understand who is behind all this, right? Um, you can imagine if you or I were there and told Gideon, hey man, like, I know it's been rough. I know we've been oppressed. I know it seems like things aren't going well, but I'm, I'll go out there in a battle with you, you know? Um, I know if I, if I was there, if I'd say that, you know, that wouldn't, that would not cause him to act. He'd be like, okay, cool, you know, great. That's not very helpful. He responds, he's acting because because of the nature of this love that he's receiving, right? The nature of the love, like I said, an unquestionable, like undeniable love for for him who questions the love. <laughs> and he's also beginning to see, I think, the nature of the lover, right? He's, he's seeing this is God who's behind this. This is the God of Israel who's promised, I am the Lord your God, I will be with you. He's beginning to understand this. He's beginning to, under, he's beginning to see... Uh, this unconditional love for him. I think I think it's so cool. Um, and so, y'all, going to kind of wrap this up, but I hope, I mean, I hope that I have been able to convey like how mind-blowing this this grace is that that is being received from God. And, and if, you know, if you're hearing that tonight and it sounds awesome and you're like, yeah, I want to, that is a love that I can receive, you know. I question, I have doubts, and if this love is 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 freely given to people like me, then sign me up, you know, because that's how I feel. And so, if that's you tonight, then do talk talk to me about it. Talk to to Ryan or Brittany, or talk to any of our student leaders. Um, and if you are a Christian here tonight, I hope you know. I hope this has been encouraging to you, and I hope that. Um, that you will be called now into obedience to his word and um, and then that obedience might begin to be sweet. So, yeah, that's that's really it. I don't, I don't have like a story to end on. Like I said, this illustration with Gideon, I think, I, I mean, I just love it. I love preparing for this, love reading this. So I hope that this has been helpful. Um, uh, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to pray and then we'll sing one more song. So, Pray with me now. Dear Heavenly Father, um, thank you so, so very much for your word to us, for preserving it and for uh, giving it to us. Thank you for 
passages like this where we read in the Old Testament where we're often not really sure what to make of you and we see your grace and we see your patience um, to those who are totally undeserving of it. And um, I pray that, that the power of that would comfort us and that we would see that you do love people who, who have doubts and who have fears and who wonder if you do love them. I um, pray that you would comfort us and pray that that would uh, lead us to, to act and to obey you and that that obedience would become sweet and that we would long more to obey you. And pray all this in your son's name. Amen.